when you're met with a health scare or you're feeling unwell, that's a huge gut check moment in your life. My first one was getting to the root cause. Everyone gives it lip service, but I don't think a lot of people are actually doing. People shouldn't feel scared. Convincing someone that they have to come in for the rest of their life. I guess switching that to you're allowed to come in for the rest of your life. Welcome to Gut Check Radio, the health and wellness podcast, giving you the confidence to trust in your gut. I'm your host, Dr. Nick Belden, a board-certified chiropractic physician and functional medicine practitioner. And just for those of you who are aware, the contents of this podcast are for educational purposes only and are not intended to diagnose or treat any condition and do not apply any of this information you hear in this podcast without first speaking with your physician. What's up, GCR listeners? Welcome back to another episode of Gut Check Radio. It's your host, Dr. Nick here. Today, we had the pleasure and the fortune of having our first two-time guest on the podcast, Dr. Victor Johnny Elmer, my fellow buddy, fellow friend, chiropreneur. And we're going to start up this new series where we are going to be taking these very large health and wellness topics, such as cholesterol, saturated fat, breath work, stretching versus strengthening, what to look for in a good provider. And we're going to try and help you unpack these large topics so that you know when you're making your healthcare decisions and you're faced with these very large gut check moments on do I go down road B or road A for my healthcare decisions. And as I talked about, this is our first installment. We're going to try to be doing a couple of these over the next couple months. And as the topic of the podcast title showed you, today we're going to be giving you three things to look for in a healthcare provider. And if you're short on time, can't listen to the whole thing, I invite you to at least check out the timestamps, check out the resources, check out the show more from Dr. Nick, where we can help you just educate you and help you be, gain more awareness into what things you should look for in a healthcare provider and what things or what people, excuse me, can help you along your health care journey. And without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Dr. Vic. Because I'm helping a lot of people in the ways that I definitely did not expect coming out of school. But yeah, I guess for that reason, it's caused me to zoom out and, and reflect, am I actually doing right by people? Am I what this topic is a good healthcare practitioner. So now yeah, I'm excited to dive into it. Yeah. Do you have an example of somebody you've worked with where you thought, man, I really need to, or I didn't expect I would be doing this. I've had plenty of those people where, I mean, so we only adjust and I've had plenty of people get significantly better with only adjusting. And it's, both irritating and it is fulfilling because I like helping people like we all do. But I'm like, oh, like I wanted to do more of the PRI, the DNS, the rehabilitation type stuff. So honestly, I wouldn't say, yeah, I mean, I have one, one lady comes to mind. She, her entire posture changed actually after just giving her seated shin slides, which is a McKenzie move. And you just have somebody seated, feet flat on the floor or spread out, hands on their knees, they slide their hands down towards their feet and they come up. And my goal with that for the people, at least in my setting, is just to reduce posterior chain tension, mostly the low back extensors. And then she came in a week later, two weeks later, and like her shoulders were different. She was moving more smoothly. 
And then when I went to adjust her, it was so much easier and her pain was gone. And I was like, dang, like I didn't have to do all the breathing stuff that I love to do, which again, made me zoom out. I was like, okay, I want to do all these things. I know it's going to benefit somebody, but at the same time, I could just give someone a simple move like this and it still changes their life. So there's definitely internal conflict. And I think now that I've, I've been here long enough, I'm realizing like we've talked about before, there's a billion ways to skin a cat. You just kind of choose one and like you just do that and that's it. But chasing, chasing, really chasing a ghost and trying to help every single person in every single way that you know how is just gonna, I don't know, it's gonna exhaust you and drive you crazy, honestly. Uh, at least it has me so far. And so, yeah, I have her in mind. She was more of a recent patient, but there's been plenty of people where, again, only the adjustment, and then they're getting better sleep. And then we know the cascade of positive events physiologically psychologically and then their life that happens from better sleep so it's like you did change your life with only the adjustment and so again it's fulfilling but also irritating because i'm not doing what i thought i was going to do outside of school or like when i was at the tail end of our uh, school career um but yeah how about you do you have anybody i yeah it's it's examples of people I see all the time where you work on the GI and people sleep better, more energy, less joint pain. And I think if anything, that's actually a good segue to maybe one of our first points regarding, you know, because the topic of this topic of this discussion is, you know, three things to look for in a good healthcare practitioner. Do you have, we, we might have a couple of these that we agree upon. Do you have one that was top or, list off a couple of the ones that are top of mind for you and maybe we might have some overlap yeah i have a gut feeling that the first one's probably very oh there's a lot of overlap between ears and eyes but my first one was getting to the root cause it's pretty obvious everybody talks about it um i think it's almost become like a buzzword just like everyone, everyone gives it lip service, but I don't think a lot of people are actually doing it, I guess is kind of what I'm getting at. And to me, from an MSK standpoint, musculoskeletal standpoint, muscle and joint pain, that sort of movement, breathing, and now studying PRI, I understand it's a neurorespiratory issue. That's what most of the time orthopedics is a secondary, is secondary to neuro meaning nervous system or autonomics and then our respiration and how that pressure management happens and so for me if you're not addressing the breathing but then there's also psychological components to our relationship with pain how we think about pain those sorts of things how we handle it in our day-to-day -day life our expectations that's all wrapped up in the root cause just only adjusting somebody to me, you, I think it's, there's kind of, there's obviously there's nuance with this. I think addressing symptoms is totally okay. Nobody wants to be in pain, at least consciously. That doesn't make sense, but I think a lot of people unconsciously do need to be in pain and we can maybe dig into that later, but adjusting and getting them out of pain, addressing the symptom is totally cool with the mindset that 
that's what it is. I'm addressing a symptom and there's still a cause that needs to be addressed. And I think for me, that needs to be clearly communicated to a patient. Again, nuance, I can make that general statement, but there's some patients who aren't ready to hear that, nor do they want that. And so I know you've already, yeah, you've probably already had those people. They just want the symptom relief and that's it. And so I don't know exactly how to handle that. I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert in that yet. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the first biggie I would say is getting to the root cause. And <clears throat> again, that as least on the practitioner's end should be in the back of your mind, whether that patient is ready or not, like, okay, their lumbar spine is super locked up. I can adjust it and do soft tissue and all these things. But at the end of the day, what needs to really be addressed so that it unlocks stays unlocked whether they're in here or not and that's huge for me um, and I'm, I'm sure that's probably one of yours on the list yeah and that's that's brilliantly said and i think for the listeners who the phrase root cause sometimes some people are like what exactly does that mean i always use the analogy of if you have a, a thumbtack in the bottom of your foot and you have foot pain and because you're in pain, you keep taking Tylenol, NSAIDs, or even insert turmeric, curcumin, boswellia. You just, you're taking compounds to mask the symptom. When in reality, if your foot pain is caused by a thumbtack in the bottom of your foot, take out the damn thumbtack. <laughs> yeah. That is always, it's a very simple, it's sort of very childish analogy. But a lot of people, like you said, they, they understand it. But what I find is... If you ask people, hey, do you want us to get to the root cause? They always say yes. But like you said, many people don't always want to know what to do to address that root cause. Because a lot of time it's a very active process back on them. And we're sort of getting into the a tangent outside of the scope of what we're going to talk about here. But I do agree that any if you're trying to find a practitioner for any sort of condition – Listen to them on podcast, Instagram, social media, wherever you can find them. If you can get on a free phone call with them and see if they, if their whole goal is to determine what the root cause, what the driver of your symptoms, lack of health goals, sleep, energy, things like that. Yeah. And honestly, I think that's a good point that you brought up. But I kind of want to double click on the fact that um, you said a lot of people might not want to address the root cause due to it being an active pursuit. I think that's kind of, that's one of the things with like finding a good healthcare practitioner is, are they empowering you as the patient to take care of your own health and your own life? To your point, a hundred percent. I mean, that's, I think I've mentioned Ryan Mintz's program a couple of times that we've talked. I paid a pretty penny to realize, oh, they're just putting, they're giving me my power back, but with great power comes great responsibility. And so it's on me to grow. It's on me to be aware. It's on me to make behavioral changes. Change is really hard, probably more so the older we get. I'm imagining there's some sort of increase in energy needed, like neurologically to make change in our brain as things have gone on over the years. Solidified, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> And so empowerment, embodiment, they're very fulfilling, like you kind of alluded to, not what most people want on the surface, because it does take effort. 
I think that's what it comes down to is effort and energy expended. But it is so much more fulfilling to be like, oh, I don't have to go back to XYZ practitioner every single time something pops up. And so the empowerment is huge, in my opinion. And that was uh, kind of wraps up into my last point that I had as well, that third point, which for me was care for the rest of your life. If they're not giving you a game plan to get out of their office and stay out of their office, then I don't think they're the right fit. If they're going to say, oh, we'll treat you, and then you need to keep coming back for the rest of your life, that's a red flag in my book, and I don't believe in that. Um, again, there is nuance here. I will say with adjusting and with where I'm at, like I said, if you can maintain the perspective and clearly communicate it to both the patient, obviously this takes the practitioner to understand this, that to me getting adjusted is almost like getting a massage. Like it feels good. There's physiologic benefits. Those are undeniable. Is it necessary to stay healthy? I don't think so. But if someone just wants to get adjusted because it feels good and they understand there's benefits to it, I think that's totally fine. If they do that for the rest of their life, come in once a week, whatever, totally cool. But if they're coming in, if they're doing that same behavior with the thought process of, oh, if I don't get adjusted, my back's gonna go out or my leg's gonna get shorter or my spine's gonna explode or some crazy nonsense, that's not okay. So really, I guess it comes down to the motivation, the intent behind what you're doing, which we've heard hundred million people on Instagram talk about who are further along in the health and wellness industry than we are, that it's more so the intent behind what you're doing rather than what you're doing that matters. And um, yeah, so I guess that's kind of the flip side of finding a good health healthcare practitioner. So it's something not, but that's something to look for in a bad healthcare practitioner, I guess is, the, is a way to say it is if they want you to come back for the rest of your life, and if they're using fear to motivate you, uh, a lot of us in like the more natural holistic side of things want to demonize big pharma. And we see how much fear mongering goes on to get people to take pills and all these sorts of things. But we're not really any better if we're doing this, if we're using the same strategy, yep. going to use fear. And so, yeah, I, I, I get it. It's powerful. Clearly we see it on a massive scale working very well, but, uh, from a business standpoint, I should say, but from truly ethically helping people, fear is not a motive as a good motivator. And, uh, yeah, so I guess those are my, you know, we kind of, I bounced around a little bit from the empowerment to convincing someone that they have to come in for the rest of their life. I guess switching that to you're allowed to come in for the rest of your life uh, would be a good kind of way to phrase that. But yeah, those were my three getting to the root cause, make sure that they're empowering you as the patient, which again, to your point can be scary for patients because they don't want to have all of that responsibility and efforts. And then if that practitioner is, trying to convince you that you have to come in for the rest of your life just to feel 
functional in your life day to day, uh, that would be a red flag in my book. How would you feel about combining the empowerment and making sure that they don't want to see you the rest of their life? Because to me, I sort of see those as an example of empowering is telling you that you don't need to see them forever. You see what I mean? Yeah. And I, I did think about that when I came up with that last one. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very similar. I don't know if they're exactly the same, but there's probably there's a ton of overlap to your point. Um, so if you're putting me on the spot, come up with a third reason. I can't do that. No, right no, 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 no. Did that. No. <laughs> yeah, do it now. No, I, I, and I think like you said, that's that's perfectly well said. People shouldn't feel scared into feeling as though they need to see someone forever. Like, like you just said, I think to walk out of an office, knowing that you have the tools within yourself to be able to help yourself long-term. And like you said, check in with the person if they want to sort of a want versus need, not that they need to see anybody, but in the beginning there needs to be some change in the long-term they want to. I think that's a big one. So I, I like, I like that. I would, if I were to add in a third one to make it a little different than the first two, I would maybe say someone who's open-minded to new to new ideas, new ways of thinking, new approaches, open-minded enough that they allow for new information, but not so open-minded that the brain falls out. <laughs> and, they're, and they're always doing new things without actually ever solidifying a system. And I think that speaks to what you said of it's sometimes if you solidify and crystallize too much, then you can't, can't break it. You'll have to put it in the microwave and you don't want to put your brain in a microwave, kill your neurons. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> you have to keep some dynamic aspects to your idea. That way, if they're dynamic, they're more easily to change. And I'm trying to think of an example of if you're working with a practitioner what they would say that would make you think that they are, or more importantly, aren't open-minded. I guess I have patients sometimes who come to me and they say, Hey, I read about the blood type diet online. Do you think that could be beneficial for me? And my immediate instinct is to sort of unpack why it is they're interested in it. And then as you start to peel back the layers, you start to understand that they, they're, people are looking for a smoking gun and then mm-hmm. subsequently a silver bullet to fit that smoking gun. Do those two analogies make sense? Have you heard those yeah. before? Yeah. Yeah. I, from you. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. And for the listeners, a silver bullet is sort of the, the play on the mythical werewolf and that if you shoot a werewolf with a silver bullet, you'll kill it and nothing else will kill it. And it's this idea that it's this cure all for everything. And I've had so many people come in thinking the blood type diet is the cure all and if I immediately shoot that down, that's not me being open-minded. That's me be, and not that's me also not being empowering. So it, it really, you know, have an understanding, say, yeah, I'd I, I see what you mean. And then ask them why it is that they think it might be beneficial. And if it sounds like they're looking for a silver bullet, then you sort of have the conversation of that there's all, there's a, an approach for everybody and there is no real such thing as a silver bullet in health. I wish there was. Yeah, we'd both be millionaires living in Cancun, probably. Yeah, and I think you know that's what every health professional says, is they're like, oh, I've spent decades trying to find the perfect superfood, and I couldn't find it. Yeah. And I think we all, we all want to find a silver bullet, because like you said, there's a lot of monetary incentive to find it. 
but I don't think it's there. But I think to get this back to have be helpful for listeners, you should be able to ask your practitioner questions and be able to have an open-minded discussion versus me saying, Oh no, blood type that diet, that's stupid. Don't ever do that. You know, there should, we should be able to have a conversation around it. That's how you know if they're really open-minded. Yeah. And a kind of an analogy that came to my mind when you were talking about that was something that my buddy told me a while ago. He was talking, I think he was talking about sales. Um, but I think it's very fitting here is like, it's like going on a walk with somebody like you're walking with them instead of putting up a roadblock or dragging them along to one direction or the other or holding them back. Like you're talking about this discussion is you're walking side by side with them to, to meet their mindset. Where is their mind at right now? And you're just, you're going, you're walking with them and you might try to nudge them in a direction or whatever, if you think it's best as a practitioner Obviously, that analogy is a, isn't foolproof for what we do, but the point being, you don't want to be that roadblock. You don't want to drag someone super strongly in one direction. You don't want to hold them back either, because ultimately, when we talk about empowerment, in my mind, and Ido Portal comes to mind when he talks about movement, is like you're mastering mastery of mastery is mastery of is mastery of oneself. In my mind, that goes to like, we're allowed to explore one in my realm movement and in your realm, like maybe different diets, but not in a way that's like, oh, this one is going to fix me forever. It's, oh, like, I wonder how I'll feel on keto. Oh, I wonder how I feel on pro-metabolic or I don't know, carbs only. I don't know if that's a thing, but <laughs> there is fructarian. Fructarian. Yeah. more in an exploratory way and just see what happens and making like informed decisions rather than like like you're talking about with the intent like we were saying earlier that's not necessarily like what you're doing that's should be demonized but the motivation behind it uh, that needs to be a little bit more carefully scrutinized like if you're doing it to just see how your body reacts and i think that's totally cool but and to and to what you were where I jumped off of, of your conversation or what you were saying, it's having, it's kind of going, it's walking with that person, having a conversation with them and then seeing if it would be a good fit. But if you get to the bottom line and they're like, oh, I'm just looking for an instant fix, then that sets off those warning bells in your head. Like, okay, like that's probably not going to be it for you. And as you know, there's a myriad of lifestyle factors that need to be in place for just overall health in general, really. Um, but I wanted to go back to something you said earlier about like, I think we were wrapping up the empowerment point and like how telling people that they need us might be a problem. And I think there's nuance there because I think people do need us. There's definitely a line. Nobody, the common uh, person, I guess, average person did not go to chiropractic school or become an MD and they don't have the knowledge that you and I do to at least start to guide them in the direction of ideal health. And especially now, like I think we talked about last week, maybe, or two weeks ago, how much noise there is on social media. Like you don't even know what to do or eat or think or say, or what am I, like, how am I supposed to sleep? And I think people do need us, but there becomes a point like we're more of a guide than like saving their life 
uh, for the rest of their life, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I don't know when you said that earlier, that came to mind about saying that they don't need us. I think that they do, but there's definitely an ethical line and, and an effective way to empower people for sure. Um, but yeah, and I also something that's come to my, I've been thinking about a lot on that same vein, or I guess maybe it's on the empowerment train, I guess, is I think one of the biggest scams in healthcare is thinking that the body is wrong. Yeah. Like, yes. Yeah. Let's go into that a little bit. Yeah. Use And that, I think it's very easy to use that as the fuel for the fear to motivate people. It's like, oh my gosh, like your legs are that far off. Like your body is definitely not doing what it's supposed to, or your gut is doing this. Like, oh man, like your body is definitely attacking you or whatever. And maybe like, obviously from immune systems, the same point, it probably literally is. But to think that what the body's ever doing is wrong and then using that to motivate someone like, oh, like let me fix your body. I think that's ridiculous. And again, obviously people don't want the unpleasant experience of their symptoms. I totally get that. Um, but again, I mean, I, I, I guess it's almost like a religion now, like to believe in innate intelligence. And I know we, we, a lot of people laughed at that in school, but I mean, the body is non-conceptually so much smarter than we are from an intellectual standpoint. Like we're still learning about how the body functions in my mind that just tells you right then and there, like we are behind how smart the body is. If we're still learning about it, it's incredible. And the other point is the question I ask people is how many bodily processes are you controlling consciously right now? And you would say maybe one, if, if that honestly is like how you're moving or how you're breathing, but you're not controlling your digestion. You're not controlling how many nutrients you're absorbing, you're not controlling your heartbeat. And that's just three out of a billion things that are going on in your body right now. So yeah, I think it's just, uh, I guess going back to my original point, it's just such a problem to demonize, to really just demonize symptoms. And I know it's easy, it's way easier said than done as you're, as you're the one experiencing something unpleasant. But as a practitioner zooming out and like saying like, what is this body trying to do? I think is important and then not using that like, oh yeah, like we need to get rid of that immediately or whatever and making someone afraid of their body. Cause I don't know how many times you've heard it, but I've heard it probably over a thousand times at this point that, oh, my body hates me today or oh yep. my body, whatever. And I'm like, no, like that's so sad to think that you, it's you versus your body. You're in this body. It's trying to tell you something. It's trying to keep you here. It's trying to help you live a better life. And what I think is absolutely wacky is when your life, I guess, when the body bodily symptoms, and this goes more to a psychosocial standpoint, your bodily symptoms are a reflection of what's going on in your life. Like you're not, like you're in a job that you hate and you've had chest pain and shortness of breath for the eight months that you've been at a job that you hate. It's like, is the shortness of breath and chest pain a heart or really a heart issue? Or is this my body telling me something like, Hey, I'm not like, I'm just constantly stressed because I hate my freaking job 10 hours a day, five days a week. 
like that's just something and then you change jobs and all of a sudden it goes away it's like no that wasn't some random miracle that was your body like talking to you i think through the subconscious but that gets into the weeds of some other stuff but i'll kind of get off my soapbox and let you dive in anything that might have come to mind no i think that was perfect and symptoms are a signal yeah more simply put yeah well, no i think it, it's good to have both the nuance and then the the big picture thinking and the disease not to get on the the train of attacking the insurance industry but i mean let's be honest a lot of the reason diseases exist is because if you know a disease you know a treatment to give and that's how the linear model of the insurance game works but i think how Vic, you and I work is if you understand the process that's happening, I mean, if you understand the root cause and you understand the process of that root cause, then you can ultimately understand what you can do to reverse that from happening using the symptoms as a signal. I think that's perfectly well said. Yeah. And I think from both of our standpoint there, because there is such a gap, I think from where most people are in their understanding and where <clears throat> someone like you and I or any other healthcare practitioner that's kind of always trying to push the envelope is in their thinking. <clears throat> I think it's important to kind of meet someone like we were talking about earlier, meet someone where they're at, gain their trust. Maybe you do only address the symptoms and that's all you do. And you don't even mention like root cause and all these things. But again, as in the back of the practitioner's mind, that's what the intent to get them to our thought process and get them more empowered but initially if they're so far over here and you're so far over here that that gap is so big for them to to cross then like how are they going to listen to anything that you say and again that's something that one of my buddies told me is like being effective is not synonymous with being right so you might be correct in your root cause approach and try to empower them and not use fear, but is that an effective approach at that time to get them to where you want from A to B or A to G or A to Z at some point? Like there, it, that, and that's where I think the art comes in is, is just getting to know somebody. And my business coach, Justin, talks a lot about this. Like that takes trust and trust takes time. Like you just prove to somebody over and over, like you're going to be dependable and you're there and, and then they, they build trust in you and then you can kind of do your thing at some point. Then they'll start asking you more questions. And, but it's really tough. I think as, as young practitioners, uh, especially for us who are very convicted in what we do uh, to not jump the gun and be like, Oh, this is, let me address your breathing, even though you came in for plantar fasciitis or let me address your breathing, even though you have a headache, that's tough for a lot of people. Um, so yeah, take that for what it's worth, I suppose. Hmm. And I think this might be a good opportunity to sort of go back and talk about the three things that you should look for in a healthcare practitioner, because when you're met with a health scare or you're feeling unwell that's a huge gut check moment in your life and if you use these three principles of number one making sure the practitioner talks about root cause and figuring out what started and what caused the problem 
Number two, if they make you feel empowered and as if you're not going to have to need to see them forever, and they're going to give you the tools to be able to support your own body. And number three, if they seem open-minded and they're willing to walk with you, that's Victor so beautifully put how you said that. So I think when you're met with that gut check moment in your life and you're trying to evaluate, look for the, look for those three things and they might not have all three, but look, look for one. And if they see, if one of them has a total opposite of one, if they don't make you feel empowered or they are totally dismissive and don't walk with you, that's a good indication that you're probably not talking to the right person. And Vic, you know, if people, speaking of the right people, if people want to know more about you and where they can learn more about, you know, these, these three great signs that you incorporate with your people, where can they find you on the interwebs? Yeah. Uh, my Instagram handle is just my first name underscore last name. So Victor underscore Elmer. It sounds like the glue, but it's not spelled like the glue. It's E-L-M-U-R-R. <clears throat> Otherwise, my website is connectedcairoaz.com. And so that's my website. Other than that, um, yeah, that's pretty much it at the moment. I haven't gotten into TikTok or anything crazy yet. There's no need to. It's a Chinese company. They're going to take us over anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I'll, we'll put all that information in the show notes. But Vic has the honor of being the first two-time guest on the show. He was on episode, I believe it was episode 12, where we really hey. rabbit yeah. hole down breathing. Yeah. 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 I really appreciate it. So uh, honestly, it's, it's an honor and it is quite humbling to, I mean, I know being on a podcast is probably not the biggest deal in the world, but um, for you to value what I have to say enough to want to continue to do the Instagram lives that we were doing and then have me back on a podcast is really cool. So very much appreciate it. And obviously I love talking to you and I think we bounce ideas off of each other very well. So this was fun as always. Likewise, brother, man, whole goal of helping people out there unpack these large topics in health and wellness. And when they come to these gut check moments, they have a little bit more of a empowered knowledge to make their decision from. Thank you all for trusting me to be a part of your day. If you enjoyed the show and found it informative or entertaining, we invite you to share the love by leaving a five-star rating review on your podcast platform of choice or by sharing this episode with your family and friends. And until next time, trust in your gut.